You're on with Barbara. Hey, 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 it's me, Barbara Corcoran, and this is 888-BARBARA. That's right, it's time to answer all your burning questions. From the boardroom to the bedroom, nothing is off limits. So listen up for some advice on how to live your best life. Each week, I'll be answering all your burning questions, and sometimes I'll be asking them too, interviewing some of the greatest folks I know to learn the secrets of their success so I can share them with you. What do you think about a guy that's a superstar salesman, a star on television, so much money that he has multiple homes, has two assistants alone that just manage his schedule, drives around in a brand new Bentley, and really has in life everything he wants that symbolize success, but yet he says he's humble and driven by insecurity. You believe that? Then listen in. I'm going to be talking right here to Frederick Eklund. Are we lucky today to have Frederick Eklund here with us? You all know this guy, of course, from Bravo's Million Dollar Listing. I know him because I met him when he was first in the real estate business, and I thought, what a cocky son of a gun this guy is. <laughs> it's the truth. That was my first impression. What a cocky guy. Now, usually, because I've been managing salespeople most of my adult life, when salespeople are cocky, it goes one of two ways. Either they become a superstar, which is a rare occurrence, or they're so cocky they get in their own way and people are dying to take them down. So somehow Frederick went down the good road where he has become beyond a superstar, both on TV and the hardest part of all, off TV, selling properties, listing properties to the envy of every salesman that's ever lived or breathed. I want to be a superstar. So first off, let's welcome Frederick Eklund. I'm going to, I'm going to clap for you here, Frederick. I don't care. I'm clapping. Yeah. Here we go. Whoa, 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 whoa. So where are you right now? I was expecting you in my office. That was a good intro. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Let me ask you, where are you right now, Frederick? Okay, so I'm in my new car, which I waited for a long time to get. I bet it's statusy, is it not? Come on, come on, come on. Tell us what it is. I'm not a car guy, but this is a beautiful one. It's a Bentley 2020 convertible GT Continental. And supposedly I'm the first person in California to have it. But let me clear the air here with this. You can after that. I'm sorry. I hate you. I'm sorry. No, Barbara, this is very important to me. Okay. Okay. Because the last thing that I ever want to be perceived as is cocky. And I think when we met, I was just really nervous. And I think I was a lot more insecure when I was younger. And maybe because I looked up to you for so long and you're such an icon. I don't know what I said or how I came off, but I really don't think I'm that cocky. If anything, I'm like overly sensitive and, you know. Yeah. Can I tell you something? I didn't mean to perhaps label you so quickly like that. But when I say cocky, I mean kind of like overconfident, like somebody who just thinks, I got it. I got this now. And what I'm saying, probably overcompensating at the time, you know? Could very well be. Well, I don't care. I love being with you. And I thought to myself, is there ever going to be another man that's a better human species or example of what a man should really look like? And that was you. Oh, my God. Uh, You made me happy for months. I kept thinking, dreaming about you. I'm like, this guy, (laughs) this guy has made me happy. (laughs) Let me start there with good looks. You're such a handsome guy. Do good looks count? And how do they help you or hinder you? In real estate, unfortunately, I think that the answer is they do help because what we work with 
it's of course a lot about emotions and relationships and trust and which doesn't really have that much to do with looks but then the other side is we work a lot with surface you know design and rich materials and amazing expensive furniture a lot of looks so you know you want to hire somebody usually when you're hiring a real estate broker that is on time and smells good and usually you know looks good and can kind of channel all that love that you put into your property and no one wants to hire somebody that has bad shoes or bad nails and smells or not on time so i think looks is it's important i've got criticism actually lately because people are asking me on instagram and social media like do you only hire models do i have to be mm. a model to work for you and and i didn't really think about it like that but then yes i'm looking at this team and i'm like everyone is really good looking mm. so undeniably the answer on that one is yes it counts for a heck of a lot personally you have a great advantage and you continue that with the people you hire hmm? i guess it relates to the earlier discussion about cockiness like i never actually thought i was good looking if anything which i wrote about in my book i was mm-hmm. thought i didn't look anything good at all and kids in school when i was really young used to tease me because these boys that were older said that i had girly eyes you do have girly eyes they were right i still don't know what that means i think it looked to them at the time this was like 1986 in sweden or something that maybe i had pretty eyes or maybe i had blue mm. eyes which a lot of people do at back home or long eyelashes anyway i was so traumatized by this experience that i cut my eyelashes off no way yeah with my mother's sisters in the bathroom and i was like really ashamed of these eyes because i didn't really understand it, you know when a young boy but i came to the us much later than people always commented like when i ordered a coffee or went to any kind of store all these people were like oh your eyes are so pretty and then i kind of put the two of you together mm. but i never really looked at me like like that my husband thinks I'm cute, so he's sitting next to me right now and smiling <laughs> in the car. Is he really? I've seen a picture of your husband. He's handsome, but I have to say you're a lot better looking. But don't mention it to him right now, okay? Oh, it's good that I'm wearing my headphones. So he can't hear what I'm okay, you're saying good, now. Okay, good. Yeah. One instance I have witnessed myself uh, working with sales agents over the years is very often a really good-looking man gets along with a wife looking for an expensive property, but if she happens to marry a rich guy that's short and not very attractive, very often that guy does not like that agent. Has that gotten in your way in any way? Or with large developers that are very often short, I have to say, and very often not attractive. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because not to be political or or bringing sexuality into that, but I think being this tall kind of not flamboyant but eccentric gay guy has really helped me i really believe mm. that because i'm not a threat to anyone mm. you know the women and i can give them compliments i remember when i met justin timberlake well i met him three times actually and i gave compliments to the girlfriends the wives cameron diaz and to i forget the name of his wife now and you know i can get away with that i'm like i'm not flirting mm. with her and then the guys like it because i'm hilarious and i you know my own expense really and uh with the big developers in new york you know this is new york never been an issue to be gay or be open about it and just you know be who you are and people like to see you own it and and really be comfortable in your own skin so i think that has actually helped me okay when do you lose your confidence is there a time when you actually question yourself and pause and get shaken up a bit. Yeah, well, I feel more confident now than I used to. I think, you know, when you have children, things kind of change. You're not unshakable, but what is really 
the worst case scenario that I lose everything in terms of material things, career, and I I'm home with my two beautiful twins. So that's one thing. The other thing, you know, experience like yourself, you know, once you've been around for, in my case, almost two decades doing real estate and you've seen several different phases of the market up and down and now doing it in many different, you know, geographical locations, you learn to appreciate and really listen to your gut feeling. Mm. When I was younger, you know, I was going to say something in a meeting or I wanted to fight the direction of the building or direction of the marketing or I had big, great ideas that I didn't dare to share. And then you learn over the years that if I had shared them then, I would look like a hero a year or two years later because I was right. So now, you know, I always think in in listing big listing pitches, I just want a, a mega, mega building in Florida arguably one of the tallest residential buildings ever to be built down there. And I went into that pitch knowing that millions and millions and millions of dollars in in commission. And I had to be, it's a fine line between not cocky, but really confident and really speak my mind and say the right things when it comes to what I'm asking my ideas, because it's risky, you know, they might think that the ideas are bad or they might think that this guy has too many opinions but the only way to win something like that and the only way to make a difference is to really get them to listen and then bring the good ideas when you're in let's say for example that situation and you have an idea do you hesitate or just run with your gut every time now because you have the experience behind you so that you have the confidence to say i'm probably right so let me just speak my mind or do you still weigh the circumstance, the politics, the personalities, and hesitate before you make your comments or moves? No, and I think that's the point. Exactly. I don't hesitate. I'm just, just a great flow right now in, any, in everything I've been doing for the last year. I will admit that when we were, quote-unquote, pregnant with the twins, and it was a lot of stress in my life. I was doing two television shows, and we were expanding the business, and then the kids came, and that was an amazing moment in itself. But it was winter in New York, and I went through a little bit of a dark time there for six, seven months, business-wise, that is, and just really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was hesitating and holding back a lot at that time. And I guess that's life. You go through different phases. Why in that juncture were you holding back then? Well, the market was changing, too, and everything was changing. You know, I think... What's so amazing about the real estate industry and so scary at the same time is that it keep on, you know, changing. It's fundamentally completely different than it was not only 10 years ago, but two years ago. Technology, mm-hmm. uh, the way that real estate agents conduct their business and listing system, everything's been changing so quickly. So at the time, it was just a big, big, huge change. I wasn't feeling 100%. Yeah. And didn't the kids weigh in on that? I, I always think that's a bellwether change in anyone's life when suddenly you're not the center of the universe, but you're focused on your children as the center. Did that shake your confidence initially or build it up? Well, I wouldn't say so much. Maybe confidence, but more, you know, it's, it was a big switcheroo in priorities, to your point. <laughs> <Switcheroo>. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's also like time management. Like me, you build your entire identity on who you are in, in this business and you're so devoted emotionally, physically, financially to this one role as a real estate agent. And then these kids come and that doesn't really matter now. And it's going to change around. And then how do you fit it all into your schedule? It was very difficult. I think in the end of the day, someone listening to me might say it's because you had twins. Having one, I always say, uh, is fairly easy compared. Twins is just a lot. And I remember the most difficult thing, which made me maybe question a lot of other things in my professional life was that 
I could never feel complete in the sense that you pick up one, my daughter, and oh. then I can't pick up my son. He's screaming and wants me to pick up him. If I only had her, let's say, I would be the master of the universe and everything is not double, everything is triple. Oh. And it was also a double or triple love, you know, it's also on the other side of things, it's really overwhelming and amazing, but it's a lot. With juggling career and kids, uh, for myself, anyway, I wonder if you would relate to this. I always felt like it, when I didn't have kids, I could hyper-focus on becoming what I wanted, building my business, putting myself 500% into it every day of my life and loving it. And once I had my first child, Tommy, I really had sibling rivalry of love almost fighting out my soul every day. I cared less. I hate to admit it, but I did. For my sales agents, my managers, I still worked like crazy, but my heart wasn't quite in it like it used to be. And I feared that that would have sabotaged my career. It was a really scary juncture, and I only had one. I can't imagine two. Do you feel that you care less about work when you're in love with a child? No, I feel the exact opposite, actually. Wow. I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I really do think in before kids, once again, I was so, uh, I felt a bit frustrated all the time. I felt very like, I want to get quicker. My team member, my other agents, and running, running, running. I think what kids did to me, it created a calm. People that know me for a long time see that in me, even in, like looking at me in my eyes, I think. It created this calm where I can actually enjoy my team members. I can enjoy... Mm, I mean, the industry a, as a whole is it's difficult to enjoy because it's just so much of it and so crazy. But my business uh, partner, John and Julia, that I work with, and a conversation like this, I can really, really enjoy. As I was younger, I probably see it as a marketing tool and a lot of people listen to it. And now I'm just trying to stay in the moment. And, you know, kids do that to you. Mm -hmm. Kids do a lot to you, for sure. Wait till you hit your teenage years, but we'll get back to you many years out from here and talk about that. You'll be crying on this. You'll be, please get me out of here. Not really. <laughs> uh, how do you juggle, though? I mean, I can't stand it when people, when I'm interviewed, say, how do you juggle? How do you do it all? You don't do it all. You pick and choose. For lack of a better word, how do you juggle? You're living on two coasts. You're a multi, multi-million dollar producer. You have not an inch to spare in your typical work day. I'm sure socially you're just as active. You have kids at home. You have your partner to keep happy, both at work and at home. How do you even feel like you have a space to feel like, I'm happy, take that moment and say, I'm happy right now, and I've got things where I want it? Or do you never really expect to get things where you want it? What goes on there? Well, I think it's a little bit of all of that as a parent, you're always going to feel a little bit guilty. My brother said that before I had kids. He has three kids <laughs> with his wife. And, you know, you're always going to feel like you're disappointing them in a way because you're, or yourself, because you always want to be with them fully. And you have to, to your point, pick and choose. And you have to go to work and you got to fulfill your dreams with a career. And that's just now blowing up. And I have to focus on that and I want to focus on them. Mm -hmm. Derek and I snuck away now for a romantic weekend to Big Sur. You know, you're really going to make time for each other. A little trick ever since I was young is to make everything an event. Oh. So to explain that, I make sleep an event. For example, it's basically sleep. And I've always been proud of sleeping a lot. It's very important to me. Hopefully that's why I look somewhat young. I never understood when people brag about, oh, I only need four hours or five hours or three hours. Oh. I need like 
nine hours and I love it. And I make it a real event. I've gotten to be quite a light sleeper recently in my life. How do you make sleep an event other than being committed to sleeping a long night and get a good night's sleep? Yeah. You could put it in the calendar. Mm. How about that? You could put exactly in advance when you're going to go to sleep and when you're going to wake up. It may, you might not follow it because you can't force yourself to sleep exactly that minute, but you can really think it out and, and plan it. Like Think how much we plan a damn business meeting or this call between you and me. There's a lot of assistants and calendars, but then, you know, and this is important, of course, you and I having this conversation is really important, but sleep too is equally or more important. So I'm also lucky because I'm married to a guy who's obsessed with bedding and we have this Heston's mattress for $60,000 that I got for speaking for them at an event. And we buy the best sheets and the temperature and the pillows and we really uh, focus on it. But you can make everything an event. And I think every day I wake up and with the kids too, I really try to make an event out of it, like breakfast with the kids. How could you have the ultimate experience with that? going to the park with them, going to the aquarium, putting them to sleep. And the entire day, especially now because this business is so large and it's in Miami and LA and New York, the calendar, I follow it like a crazy person. And it goes a lot of time and and effort into making that calendar perfect. And there's no dead time, none. There's not never like a five, 10 minutes, nothing. It's always doom, 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 doom. But you would actually then, Frederick, uh, like have breakfast with the kids from eight to nine in your calendar versus squeeze them in because you just got dressed. You know, you have to leave at nine and the kids have to be fed. You actually treat every single thing as an appointment. Yeah, you have to. Wow. Even sex. Even sex. Oh, God, I'd be I'd be canceling that all the time at my age. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh, no, I doubt Uh, whether you are. Not the sex, because I'm so sexual that the whole calendar would be just one big sex party (laughs) but uh what i was gonna say was that no i have to do that with the kids and with everything else because i have two different assistants to handle my calendar the east coast and the west coast and Mm -hmm. this is in no way to brag this is just to hopefully be inspirational to people that want to you know getting started in real estate and maybe want to end up having multiple teams and these two assistants Corey and ellis they sometimes have to get on the phone between the two of them and work Mm. out the calendars and then they both send the invites in the outlook which are different time zones and they have to line everything up and they're always yes. trying to get time into my calendars it's almost like a war between them <laughs> so when somebody wants to schedule like this call with you was scheduled with ellis and Corey is trying to figure out where i am and what i'm doing here etc cetera, etc cetera. you probably have the exact same uh, situation you know well to a degree but i have to say i just learned something from you i think you're doing a better job than i do i tightly schedule every inch of my life having to do with business. And I'm smart enough to always schedule vacations well in advance, fun times, uh, dinners with friends. So I put fun first. You know, I feel like if I don't, I just get swallowed up and die being one of those people saying, I wish I had not spent so much time at the office. So that I'm good at. But I have to Mm -hmm. tell you, I've never thought about scheduling sleep, scheduling breakfast. Everything's on a fly. So it loses its total importance. And I just learned that from you. Thank you. You gave me a great gift. Here. Yeah, and how many people in, in our society forget to eat lunch, they don't have time to eat lunch, mm. and eat that damn salad that's with that unhealthy dressing? The calendar, you don't have to be a slave to it, but if you portion it out, Ellis and Corey, my calendar assistants, they send me a summary of tomorrow's day. They send it late, like Tuesday night, they send it for Wednesday. And I have an ability there to kind of do last minute adjustments because once you're in the middle of the day, it's just chaos. 
And yes. I just really literally followed the calendar. So that's a really good, almost like meditative moment before I go to bed and turn the damn thing off and focus on what's really important, which is the next step in the calendar, which is sleep. I have a, a way of looking at the entire day and then, okay, I need actually the lunch to be 15 minutes longer. I need to maybe go on a hike in the morning. I can map the whole thing out and see everything is there that I want to have. Mm, wow, what a great tip. I'm being quite sincere, and I thank you for that. Oh, okay, great. Thank yeah. you. And then I'll recruit your two people and bring them working for me, and you'll hate my guts. Try. I would love to. I wrote that in my <laughs> book, too. I've always been saying it to every team member I've ever had, you're going to leave me one day, mm-hmm. and that's okay. It's like dating. You can date for a while, and then you're going to find somebody else. But when you do, you're going to be so loyal to me because we had so much fun that you're going to ask me to invest in you or be on your board or hopefully I come off bragging about my team members and my top producers and my assistants. I put them on the show. I wrote about them in the book. I always on social media try to lift them up because I'm not afraid of somebody trying to poach them. And if so, I do love them truly. And if that's a better offer and they're more happy, I will support them. God, what an inspiration. May I say, Frederick, I never thought of you as a manager in any regard. Everything you just said is the marks of a great manager. I thought John was your manager and ran that portion of personnel organization of your business. But it sounds like you do it all. What does John do? No, 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 no. John does a lot and he does more of that than me. We are very, very different. We are complete opposites, which I think why this sort of work marriage works. He did do more of that in the beginning. This is pre-kids Frederick. I just didn't have the patience <laughs> and a lot of the back office. But the organization is so big now. I think we're 76 people as of today in these three cities and with operational managers in each city and assistants in each city. And there's just so many people. So what I try to be is exactly what you said, inspirational and fun and loving. And maybe John, if I had to generalize, takes on a little more of a strict role. Kind of like Derek and I were the kids. Mm. <laughs> I like to be the one that spoiled them and just have very little rules. And Derek is the one, thank God, who's like, no, you can't jump in our bed with your dirty shoes on. Especially those expensive sheets, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like jumping with my shoes with them because I'm a four-year-old too. <laughs> you know what I think? I think you took the best job at work being the fun dad and also the fun dad at home. Not really fair to both John and Derek. If I were them, I would first of all protest. And if I were Derek, I'd have the kids sign a petition that he needs to have more fun. And you need to be the bad guy for a switch just for a month, maybe. Which one were you? Were you the fun mom or the... Drink you know, mom I'm always the fun work? mom because I, I'm smart enough like you to know that that's the best spot. My dad was a fun guy growing up, and we all love him the most. My mother worked her ass off and probably did a thousand times more things for us. But we all talk about, wasn't dad great? The fun person gets the glory. So I say you picked the right job, and so do I. No problem there. It's unfair, but someone's got to do it. Yeah, you got you right. (laughs) How much do you think fun counts for a good teammanship in the workplace? Um, I mean, let's define fun. As long as the track record is there, as long as you're obsessive about the numbers, as long as you're super, super competitive, and as long as most importantly you produce, I think we have to have a lot of fun. I mean, we are very weird, this team at this point. Like everybody's coming to LA next week because I have a big building that's opening on the 15th of October. We're all going to 
go out together, have dinners together. Then we're going to Tulum, taking everybody to Tulum in Mexico in December. I really try to build this sort of family environment. And mm. mostly because when I started in real estate by myself, I came from Sweden. I felt so damn alone. And, you know, real estate can be so up and down. And I didn't have anybody to share with. And my, my family was back in Sweden. So I always had this dream of having like a family in the office. So I think it's really important. But it, it can also go overboard. Who wants to be on a fun team that doesn't produce? Not me. I want mm. to be on the number one team that always prioritize that first, but mm-hmm. then can allow each team member to be themselves and to be big personalities and dress the way they want and do the business that they want. And we all meet sort of in the core, which is to always try to be the best. Mm, I'm sure I believe totally what you're saying. If you didn't have the TV component, if you were never on Bravo's million dollar listing, how different would your position be today? Was that key to building your success, like the kick in the ass that got you going to the stars and back? Or was it just an add-on that helped you in some regard? How important was that? I think it's very important. I mean, I'm not the kind of person that tries to rewind the tapes and think, you know, what if this and what if that? So here I am. And I think it's been very important for me, most important. Let's put the career aside. I think it was something that I really wanted to do. And, you know, something that I went after in the sense that I created the pilot and I pitched the network and they did the that. pilot. And, oh, yeah, they were laughing at me because the pilot, which was called the Billion Dollar Broker, I obviously had a big ego already back then. Uh, <laughs> it was a bad, you know, 10-minute sizzle. But they liked me and they thought, you know, this guy is funny and he seems good at what he does. And when we are ready to do a New York real estate show, we'll call you kind of thing, which was a big disappointment to me at the time. And I left there thinking, oh, my God, OK, made a fool out of myself. And I really wanted to be on reality TV because I thought it would help the career a lot, which mm-hmm. it ultimately did. Career-wise aside, it's just been very important. I see it as like elevated therapy to see yourself. It's quirky and it's edited. And I've been filming for 10 years now. And it's a lot of vulnerable moments. I mean, they were there at my wedding. They were there more or less when my kids were born. And they've seen a lot of ups and downs. And then you watch yourself. And I feel like I learn a lot about myself in a good way. And I don't Mm. think I'm the kind of person that's been swept away and become like a big diva or like because I have my roots in Sweden and so far away from all that is reality TV and Hollywood and that stuff, I really hope that, you know, I kept the little boyish Frederick there and kept my sensitivity and not become some, some big, big, yep, yep, some big shot that everybody hates. Yeah. Well, I have to, I have bad news to break to you. People hate Uh you because of how much success you have, but those are just the people that don't want to put the work in to make the big success. I think you probably have a larger real estate fan club than anybody I've ever met. In fact, only in the last few years, when I meet people having anything to do with the real estate business, the first question they ask me is, do you know Frederick Eklund? I'm like, damn, nobody used to ask about anybody but me. I don't like this very much. (laughs) You get a kick out of that, but I don't like it, you know? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, but that's why you and I are friends because I love you and you inspired me so much and you wrote the forward to my book and so I have so much to thank you for, so much to thank you You for. have so very you're, little to thank no me for, idea. but thank you for kissing my ass. I love every minute of it. <laughs> Do you remember when, this was before we knew each other, eyeing you and I was like trying to impress you. Maybe that's when you thought I was cocky. We met in Fire Island once 
And you were so funny because there you were in the harbor. It was only like shirtless, muscular gay guys everywhere. Tanned, oily <laughs> skin and speedos as far as you could see. And you're standing there and you're eating this big ice cream. Uh, like, what is that called? Like a soft cone ice cream? Ooh, and it was little, like almost falling off. And you were like with your tongue and you're like licking it. It's a, a, a great vision. <laughs> well, I wish I'd bought you an ice cream cone. Then I, I just didn't even think about it, you know. <laughs> How did you transition from being in the IT space in your native Sweden and you had some TV experience? I think likely you were fairly successful there. Or were you not successful there? I really don't know that. How did you just come to New York and answer an ad on a help wanted ad, I guess, is what I read about you? if that's accurate, and reinvent yourself. Like, what was in your head? You're in Sweden. You're thinking, I think I'll go to New York. I think I'll be a real estate agent. How did that happen? Well, it wasn't that quick. I mean, it was a lot of coming back and forth to New York. I had a music production company after the IT company, actually. And by the way, that IT company was like one of the best and most awful experiences of my life because I founded the company. And then this was 1998, 1999 in Sweden, which was the IT bubble, which then obviously popped. And I had 45 employees and I was 21, 22 years old. I was the youngest person in the company. And we were highly like publicized and I was on the cover of these business magazines. And then at 21, wow. Yeah, it was really stressful because I had a responsibility of all these employees. And then I had to get in more money, uh, venture capital all the time. And we were running out of money and the software wasn't done. And my God, it was such a nightmare. Finally, when the whole thing popped, I got out of it and I didn't make any money selling stocks, but at least I kept my promise to the employees and we didn't fire too many people. I got out, but I think it was a very good learning experience to what we're doing now in real estate. And you know, being so young and being under so much immense pressure, either it kills you or it makes you grow. And I hope it's the latter for me. You know, I was always in love with New York. You know that I had this like love obsession with her because I think it's a female. I just had to go there. I had to live there. It didn't really matter at the time what I was going to do there. I didn't have mm. a plan. I just walking down the streets. And you know, in the beginning, I was working as a bartender and I got fired from that because I was so lousy. And I handed out paninis outside uh, David Letterman. I got a panini for as lunch. <laughs> uh, and so it wasn't like, wow, I was an IT executive. Then I went and became this real estate mogul. Frederick, put that in perspective. How old were you then when you arrived in New York City? 24, I think. Still a baby, but an experienced baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God. Oh my God. Yeah. And then why the real so... estate? What did you do? You saw the ad or you said, let me see if there's any real estate spots. How did that happen? I had to do something, right? I, I couldn't go back to Sweden because and, and, I had told everybody I'm leaving and I'm going to make it big and, you know, I had these grand plans and it wasn't so easy when I first arrived and, you know, I had no money, no friends, no contacts. My family was still back home and Long story short, a friend told me I should try to get my real estate license and I would probably be good at that. I didn't have any experience of that, but I thought, yeah, I have fun with people and I like, you know, New York and this is a good way to learn the city and vertical up and down. And so I got the license at two weeks at, at NYU and then um, a Craigslist ad, I answer. But, you know, once again, that's not easy because I sat there at that office, Jason De Niro on 9th Avenue, which only had six desks and they gave me one of the desks and. I just sat there. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any Rolodex or anything. And then yeah. I got my first clients after like five months. Wow. So how long did it take before you thought, yeah, this is probably a good career change for me? Right away, you felt it in your gut, even though you weren't selling much, or it took you a while to be convinced? 
the first deal I knew, I knew, and I will never forget. What was your first deal? It was a small two-bedroom at 365 West 20th Street. It was a co-op and the corner, and it was an older gentleman that, that I had to convince I was the right broker for. And then I repainted it myself. I went to Ikea, and I staged it basically, and it sold, I think, 525000 Wow. The commission check was $16,000. And I looked at that check and it was just such a huge amount of money for something that was really fun. You know, Did it I, seem unbelievable? I remember when I got my first $340 check for my one bedroom rental. I remember looking at it and almost feeling like Casey and thinking, this seems unbelievable that I got this money. Did you have a sense of disbelief, like even though you worked your ass off to get it, that it's in your hand, physical proof? Did you yeah. did that lock you in? No, it was such an incredible feeling because I guess I'm driven by money. Everybody is. But I think I'm driven by, I call it the ego, which sounds so bad, but you know, not the vanity, but I'm driven by having fun and showing to myself and my family and my kids and husband and, and everybody else that I'm really good. And I love, you know, all the other things. The money in itself, it was more a proof. The piece of paper, the check in itself was a proof that I had um, done the right thing by coming to New York by myself, which is a very difficult decision. You know, my brother just had his first son. I felt very guilty. I wasn't there. And then he had two more kids after that. I wasn't there. You know, my grandmother's birthday, my mother, my father, I left everyone behind. And everybody thought, you're absolutely crazy. Don't go. You're going to come back. And that check was just a validation that you're on the right track here. Has your family seen you on the million dollar listing? Yes, they have. What do they, <laughs> they think? Have. What do they say? What do they say? I don't get it still. What's he doing there? Or like amazing? No, or what's their response? Our show is... It's a really good show, I have to say. Absolutely. Great ratings. Ten years later, who would have known? Proof that it's a great show because of your ego in there. <laughs> no, but some bird told me, and I'm sure the network is going to listen to this right now, but some bird told me that I rate the highest in the entire franchise because they do these focus groups. Wow. Unbelievable. I'm not supposed to know that, but there I said it. My mom now, she loves it too because it airs in Sweden. It airs in like 141 countries. It's going all over the world. And she watches it every Wednesday night. And she loves it because although it's a, a Bravo perspective, it's still a in for her into my life. And she gets to see the kids and she's my clients. And it's, it's ah. she loves it. She calls me after each episode. And it's nice. It's really nice. What does your dad say about it? I think he's really proud. Well, I know he is. He's not so good at saying it, but he is. <laughs> but they've both been on the show multiple times, too. So. Oh, I didn't know that. My, what a thrill. So when you go home to the airport, everybody recognizes you. as for a selfie. It's the same old, same old. You get on the East Coast, the West Coast. That's your life no matter where you travel in the world now. Yes. How about when you're in your Bentley? Do people look in the window and start yelling and waving? There he is. There he is. Or once you're in the Bentley, people assume that you have that wall of privacy. What do you say? It's kind of like that first check. I hope this makes sense. I didn't bring up the Bentley because I want to brag how expensive it is. Because it is I expensive. Know. I brought it up because for me, I'm like this four-year-old Swedish kid with the long cut-off eyelashes. <laughs> and I feel like it's an exciting thing to drive this thing. And it's exciting to sit next to my husband and talk to you. And it's all of it, not the damn car only. Anyway, you get it.
I have to say something to you, Frederick. We'll wrap it up here. But this idea that you're a cocky son of a bitch, which I've heard from envious brokers from the beginning of time when you've been doing your work, are so, so wrong in their assessment of you. Thank you're you, amazing. You, amazing and so genuine in your expression. Very, very helpful. People constantly ask me, what is the key that makes someone exceptional above everyone else? What's the one thing in your personality that drives you? Well... I can't say that you're born with it, but I think a lot of us are. It's not really something you can unfortunately learn or choose to believe in. And it's also not something that's only good. I would say maybe 60% good and 40% bad. Mm. And that is this idea that you're about to fail mm. if you don't do it better each day and better than everybody else, you're going to fail. Mm. So fear of failure drives you. You're not better and cooler than your last deal, or in my case, you know, the last transaction in real estate, and it's all going to stop tomorrow kind of thing. If you don't, let's continue, continue, continue. But you're <laughs> the same way, no? Uh, listen, I could have the most success in the world, and people constantly say, why do you work so hard? You don't need to work. you got enough money. It's true. you got everything you want. It's true. I've got healthy kids, a husband, a great life, everything I imagine. It's true. But why do I drive myself 12, 14-hour days? A, I love my work, and B, it's proof still to myself that yeah. I'm successful. I need to prove it again and again. And I would say another word for that is insecurity, but whatever. So I'm thankful I'm insecure, and I think maybe you might be too. Yeah, so you agree with me, 60 40%. Because it's not only, you know, amazing to have that fear, like, oh, I want to be relevant, I want to be successful, I want to have fun, I want to expand. In the end, also, it's a love for life, isn't it? Yes, you know, it, it could is. be easy to sit on the beach and drink skinny margaritas all day long, which I do once in a while, but then I get bored of that because I want to see something else in that glass yeah. of ice and that beach. Yeah. What can you do next? Well, I'll be looking forward to everything you do, Frederick. Thank you so much for being so genuine love and sharing you. yourself. I love you too. Enjoy Big that kiss. car. Boom, boom, boom. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And I guess that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Let us know your thoughts. Think I got it right? Think I got it wrong? Have an idea for a great guest? Just tweet me at Barbara Corcoran using the hashtag 888Barbara. And keep those questions coming in to the 888Barbara hotline. You can subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't be coy. Leave a review for the show at Apple Podcasts and keep the party going on. We'll see you next time. 888 Barber is produced by Sandy Smolens for Audiation. And Lila Mann is our executive producer. Audiation.